Mighty Lord and Everlasting Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you've given us in enlightening us to your truth. We pray, O God, as we come back to your word again, to look to see Christ more clearly. We pray, Father, that you would reveal him to us in your word and help us to be exuberant in our giving of thanks. We ask, O Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds as we look to your word, that there would be unction in the preaching, that there would be power in the hearing, that there would be sanctification in us this morning as a result of studying and seeing what your word says. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We look to Psalm 75 this morning in thinking about giving thanks. Let's read Psalm 75. To the chief musician set to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All of the horns of the wicked I will also cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. This particular psalm was a psalm of Asaph. And we are going to look specifically at verse 1 in the context of the psalm. It was given at a particular time, to Asaph in his life. And Asaph, in and of himself, was a man vexed in many ways, but delivered by God in many ways. His psalms, and he's written a few of them, are often sensible. They are often filled with liveliness, as this one. Whenever one comes to the scriptures, they always find action, and here, Asaph, as a result of surveying the wickedness of men and knowing that God is a just judge and knowing that they will be judged, but he will be exalted, a very amazing concept overall, we find Asaph giving thanks to God for God's work in his own life. Oftentimes, whenever we look at the scriptures, Christians are either given a command to do something, or they are given instructions on how to do something, or they are given examples to follow. In this verse, all three are given. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks. For your wondrous works declare that your name is near. There is a command in the verse. The command is, give thanks. That the whole community of believers is commanded to give thanks to God. There are instructions in this verse. 
to give thanks because they will notice God's wondrous works towards them. This is their obligation since they have seen the great works of God. And there is an example that Asaph and his people at that time were praising God for his wondrous works. One work gives a sensibleness to all the others in the character of God. So when they see something, they respond with praise. And so we have here a given instance of worship. What is worship? Worship is the outward expression of the inward attitude and understanding of who God is both in our life and for the church and declaring praise to him for what he has done. All of that follows the manner in which we must meditate on the wondrous things, the wondrous works, as the psalmist says, that God does. And as a result of that, those wondrous works declare the nearness of God. Thus, if we were to really take it down to a very particular and very brief definition, worship is really having very high thoughts about God. And in response, giving thanks for what we understand about him. Why do Christians do this? Well, they're coming to worship that they might gain more of God. Their hearts are lifted as they give thanks. Their minds are strengthened because they see more of God. Their faith is secured as they receive what God does in their life. They come because they want more of God. And by giving thanks, they enter into the realm of worship. The psalm holds quite a lot of meaning for everyone. The psalms in and of themselves are rich, which giving thanks. But let's be more particular. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks. He's stating that they do it. But what does that mean? What does it mean to give thanks? There is no Hebrew word for the restricted idea of thanksgiving or thanks. There's not a word that means like an English thanksgiving and a definition to it. Rather, in the Old Testament, the word for thank always has a connotation of the way in which we praise. Having given thanks has two uses in it. First, the confession of sin individually or nationally for example, the psalmist also says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I have said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. That's Psalm 32.5. The sinfulness of man in the eyes of God is quite important. Even in giving thanks, we are conscious of who we are in Jesus Christ before God. And so the confession of sin is the first step in being able to give thanks to God, Daniel 9.4. And I prayed unto the Lord and made confession. Ezra 10.1. Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, has to do with forgiveness. 
Nehemiah 9, 2 and 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. They were always hinged together. 1 John 1, 9, That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of that has to do with the first use of how confession is to be part of the proclamation of thanksgiving to what God does in and for us. The second use is to express one's public proclamation or declaration of God's attributes and works. I mean, how many attributes does God have? He has many. But note the idea of public. In this particular psalm, Asaph and the people of God come together to the tune, a special tune, to sing together at the temple, to worship publicly. We give thanks, Asaph says. Expression in this way is public. So not only the confession of sins publicly together, as we've done, but also in front of the others in the assembly, we are to declare the goodness of God's attributes, and there are many ways, as we'll see, that we can do that. But the best use is the combination of this word confession. For the person confesses or declares the attributes of God and his thankfulness to calling out in his name. Every time we've seen worship in Genesis thus far, we've seen that they call on the name of the Lord. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Well, that has to do with professing and had a, a connotation of preaching and as a connotation of worship. All of those things about who God is. They were heralds for God for the great things which he had done. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Psalm 89.5 The assembly, just as Asaph is saying here in Psalm 75, so... It's done continually. Praise and thanksgiving are given together in the community of the covenanted people of God. The Hebrew word yadah, declare or give thanks, is used as one of the key words in the idea of praise. Because it's impossible to divide thanksgiving and praising for one declares the great works of God, he cannot help but to praise him. People will praise, and in that praise they give thanks. Praise leads regularly to thanksgiving. And so, in this giving of thanks, we have to ask what the focus is. Praise normally has Yahweh, or his name as the focus. We give thanks to you, O Lord. We give thanks for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. That the nearness of God's name is something that we should have in our focus. Psalm 79, 12. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Or Psalm 99, 3. Let us praise your great and awesome name. Remember, as we've just read in Exodus... God's name is I am that I am. What I am I will be, and what I will be I always am. 
Yahweh. And so the name itself, when we say Hallelujah, or Hallelujahweh, that's the idea, that we praise Yahweh. That we're giving thanks to Yahweh, his name, who he is, the attributes that God is, that he is love and joy, and that he is immutable, and that he is all-powerful and omniscient and everlasting. And all of these things, the Christian should have as his focus, which means the Christian must be very informed as to the God he worships, lest he's not able to worship him. Another basic question we should ask is, who shall praise God? Well, in the way that the Psalms or even Old Testament theology deal with how praise is given to God, the living, not the dead, are the ones who praise God. Isaiah 38, 18-19 For hell cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down into the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you. And what does Isaiah mean when he says it like that? In dealing with those who don't have the second chance of being able to praise God, you have two kinds of people, those who praise him and those who can't. And hell will swallow up all of those who are dead now who don't praise God. And they go down into the pit and they have no hope in the truth of God, have no hope in the ability to praise only the living, the living man, righteous individuals. Psalm 140.13, surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. They are able because God has done something to them that give them the ability to do it. They are the people of Zion, the people of Israel. Psalm 106.47, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Even the nations are to praise him. Psalm 45, 17. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. The nations shall praise you. Kings. Kings of the earth. Psalm 138, 4. The kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. And even down to the immaterial substances that are out there that have no life in them. The heavens, Psalm 89, 5. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Everything is required to praise God, but only the righteous, only those who are changed, are able to praise and give thanks. Whenever people come to praise God like this, confessing, they give praise orally by the word, or psalm. Psalm 109.30 I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Well, what does your mouth do? Well, it should, should be occupied in praising God. Especially in the midst of coming together in the corporate worship just as Asaph says in this psalm. We give thanks. We are giving praise. And this thanksgiving in the days of the temple was often accompanied by musical instruments before the fullness of the gospel came about and Christ ratified and completed all things. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and the symbol of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, 
for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. And it's interesting that in these shadowy times, when they needed more things to demonstrate the substance of thanksgiving, they were making melody together, they were giving praise together, they were praising the Lord, and such praise was normal with the people of God. Praise was always on their lips. Even given in the tabernacle before the temple. Psalm 100 and verse 4. And Psalm 122 verse 4. Under the direction of the Levites by David. Strictly for the ministry of celebration. They praised together. Giving praise and confession to Yahweh's person. First Chronicles 16.4 And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the God of Israel, among whom was Asaph, who has written the psalm that we are studying. This was a major act of worship and was to be carried on every morning and every evening in the tabernacle. People often ask, ministers ask, why in the world do we praise God in the morning and then have another service in the evening? I don't know why that is. They need to open up their Bible and read the reason why. The praise given by God to David at expressed times in the morning and in the evening. The idea behind it was that this exuberant praise was to continue forever. Psalm 30 and verse 12. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you sometimes. No. Forever. I will give thanks to you forever. We will thank God and praise him before his throne, casting down our golden crowns around the glassy sea. Forever. This is what heaven is about. And what is it are we going to praise him about? Even in heaven, even now, forever, his wondrous works. His wonderful and wondrous works. Are there any type of works done by God? No. Only wonderful. Extraordinary, marvelous, astounding, astonishing, remarkable. Those are the kind of works that God does. From these works, what's the Christian obligation? We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. God will receive thanks and declaration for the things he has done, regardless of what those things are. The angels are employed in this. They forever stand before God, some of them flying, and Praise God. That's what they do. They record that he is holy, 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 always. And Christians should do the same. The angels even long to look into the things which God does for the Christian. And Christians should take time to look into those things as well. But what about all the bad things that happen to God people? Are these, in fact, wonderful works? Don't, don't bad things happen? Well, God does nothing less than wonderful works for us, no matter how bad a situation might be. For all things work for the good. That doesn't mean all things are good. 
if somebody dies or someone is hurt or someone is stricken with a disease or a plethora of different things could happen, those things in and of themselves are a result of the fall and are not in that way good, but everything is used by God for good. So everything that happens, we have the obligation to give thanks and see the wondrous works that God does in our midst. To give thanks or to declare the wondrous works of God requires that certain works from Christians, us, are done by us. The Hebrew states that we are not to forsaken, we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Hebrews tells us that. Why? For as we give thanks to God, this is to be done by the body as well as by the individual which makes up the body. And what do these works do towards us? Well, they declare, they count, or they recount God's wonderful works among us. And we can never have that little phrase, among us, unless we come together. The word which are derived from certain ideas in declaring, that idea of declaring or, or setting forth God's wondrous works or praising him and thanking him in this way, it actually comes from the Hebrew idea of being a scribe or taking a census or numbering something where we are to declare in that way, to recount in that way the word of God, what God has done, and thus the word of God is the account of all the wonder works of God, how many of these works can the Christian account for? He is to be keen on being able to do that. How much time does the Christian spend searching through the pages of the account so that they might see the wonderful things that God does in their lives? The outcome of being able to grasp many of those things is that the Christian then knows how to give thanks, knows what to do. The outcome of the Christian's thanksgiving is that God is near. Your wondrous works declare your name is near. The word near is likened to kinsmen coming into a most near and intimate proximity. They come close to us. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He has come close to us and saved us. And it can also mean actual contact with the object. But it has the connotation of drawing near to God. So, we declare, we give thanks, we declare, and thus as a result, his name is near. God is near. The implications can mean how much of God does the Christian actually want? That can depend upon how the worship of him is given. Sinners are coming to be reconciled with God. They want God to come near. Specifically, his name is near to them. A name is the means, an external marker to distinguish one thing from another. It includes the existence, the character, and reputation of the individual. God's name has all of those things. So to have the name denoted to us or near to us demonstrates that the Christian has the favor of the triune God. Remember, Balaam, remember when Balaam, the son of Baor, was 
propositioned by Balak to come and curse the Israelites, and he didn't, because every time he was going to do it, God showed up and told him that you're going to bless, because Balak knew that Balaam had the ability or had the name of the deity, that he could call on that name, and he would use that name to summon the deity. And when you have the name, you have the God. But Balaam didn't have Yahweh, and he didn't receive that name in the right way. And as a result, as even Jude tells us, wound up being a false prophet, even though God blessed the people and placed his name on them. Even the benediction in Numbers chapter 6, when God's name is given, it says, I shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So Christian worship and the giving of thanks to God, we are like heralds, declaring the wondrous works which he's done, and as a result, God brings himself near to us and reveals to us his wonderful name. That places a very different view on the giving of thanks in general as much as the world would look at thanksgiving in a very different way. They would look at it in terms of how big the turkey is or how good the stuffing was. The reasoning behind the giving of thanks in this particular manner, as we so celebrate it, as a result of a nation who was birthed by the coming of pilgrims on the Mayflower, they gave thanks. They didn't give thanks in the way that the world gives thanks today for Turkey Day. They gave thanks in this way. Half of their people had died over the first half of the winter. Half of them. The winter came, killed half of them off, the Indians came, helped them, aided them. They planted crops, had a very meager dinner. And one old man stood up and said, let us give thanks for God's provision. Giving thanks is basic to the regenerated Christian. It should be in every circumstance. And that's how it is applied to us as the covenant community of people. Ephesians 5.20 says, Give thanks, giving thanks, for all things unto God, even the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The context of worship and being filled with the Spirit is what Paul is talking about here. Singing in the Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of the Psalter, one cannot sing forever, but giving thanks, though it be a lifestyle that is set in worship. Giving thanks is the manifestation of godly works seen from the soul's excitement as a result of the redemption that's given by Christ. We give thanks to God, but we do that through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done for us in being able to save us, came and lived a perfect life, fulfilled everything that we were supposed to fulfill, then gave himself up as a sacrifice, took our sin upon himself, gave us his righteousness, and now intercedes for us 
that through the Spirit we might be able to do things that are worthy before the face of God. That God's name might be near. That we might declare the works. That we give thanksgiving to Him. In the midst of worship, Christians are bound to give thanks for everything. And only the gospel makes this possible. So we ask the question, practically, what are the ordained means in which God requires that we give thanks? Well, first, we have to have a necessary heart, a right one. Psalm 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. So unless we have a right heart, we won't be able to praise God in a right way. Secondly, we must know the God that we worship. And we must meditate on him. Psalm 104.34 My meditation of him shall be sweet. And what happens as a result of that meditation? I will rejoice in the Lord. When people come in before the service, before it starts... One of the things that would be helpful is to meditate so that we might be able to rejoice in the Lord. Confession, what we do in our service every time. Daniel 9.3 And I turned my face unto the Lord God and sought by prayer and supplications and confession. It's a blessing that Christians have a confession to make. All do, but all are not aware that they do. The child who breaks the lamp and is guilty for it knows that they should confess. But imagine, because of the depravity of man, everyone has not only broken one, but an infinite number of transgressions against God. And they don't even know that they're guilty. They have a conscience seared as with a hot iron. There's a place to take guilt by the mediation of the name of Christ. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Why? For his mercy endures forever. Confession is part of and a means by which we give thanks. How about singing? That's an easy one. Psalm 35 and verse 18. I will give thanks in a great congregation. I will praise you among many people. Ezra 3.11 says, And thus they sang when they gave praise and when they gave thanks unto the Lord. Why? For he is good. God desires to hear his saints sing. And when God's people come with bellows of praise, there's no sweeter sound that God wants to hear. And it is a great blessing for us to be able to give praise to him in that way. Prayer is another. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Prayer is the most free arena to give thanks since it's governed by two things. It's governed by your time and it's governed by your knowledge of the word. Because prayer is really taking the word of God, turning it into an argument and giving it back upon God again. And by doing this, both publicly 
and privately, prayer itself can be giving thanks and relying on him in humility. It will declare to us God's wondrous works because if we're taking the word of God and giving it back to him, we not only know the works that God does, but how then they apply to our life. We begin taking the word and applying it that way. So prayer is a great arena to be able to thank God. Hearing the word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is indeed the word of God, which also works in you that believe. It's the central aspect of the saved Christian's life. Without the word, they could never thank God because they would not know him. So hearing the word is of paramount importance to knowing who God is. We also have the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. An outward sign, special means of grace. It's a manner in which we show grace and thanks to God's grace. Baptism, the joy of being at a baptism and giving thanks for the parties being baptized. The sacraments are a great means of grace for us. Or even tithing, giving back a portion of that which belongs to God. Second Kings 12.4, Malachi 3, talk about the way giving is done. It is showing God that you're thankful that he has given you the responsibility to be a good steward over his money that he has entrusted to you. And so he requires you to give cheerfully, as Second Corinthians 9.7 says. We're all obliged in our tithe, then at the same time we give in a certain manner, cheerfully before God. Be much like the church in days past when they were trying to raise money to repair the temple and people gave so much that they had to tell them to stop. Even our life is a means by which we can thank God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In all things, that's all things, give thanks. But this is the will of God in Christ Jesus toward you. What area then in the Christian life is not covered if in all things we are to give thanks? Not only do we do it in this Psalm 75 in verse 1 in giving thanks and declaring his wondrous works, but it's the we together, covenanted, we do that. But in every area in our life, we should also always be reminded that this is the will of God in Christ to do it always. In all things. And God, as a result, is near to us through Jesus Christ. He is the living name of God. Remember that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to live and die for us. He intercedes for us. We are not able to pray or to sing or to hear or to give thanks well without him. A lot of times... Christians will fall into a lethargy in worship. Not being, as they would say, I wasn't able to pray well today. Christ is the life of the Christian, the power of the Christian. He is the one who will work through us, through the Spirit, 
to enable us to do all of these works to his praise and glory. So you have to practically ask yourselves now, how do you thank him? Confession and repentance? Even our confession and repentance needs to be repented of because we don't do it very well. How do we give thanks in song to him? How well do we sing? How well do we hear the word in honor of knowing Christ? Some countries forbid the preaching of the word altogether. And here we can worship freely. How well do we hear? How do we give thanks to him in our reading of the word, in hearing of the word, in partaking of all the means of grace, in our tithe to him? Do we take up all the means and use them? In order to give thanks to God, to declare the wondrous works that he does among us, is our worship time before God a very life, a giving of thanks? It's not enough to give a statement like, well, God knows my heart. God not only knows your heart, but God requires, as the psalm demonstrates, the action of the heart in the giving of thanks. Which is why Asaph said, and we should take careful heed, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. Let's pray together. Mighty God and everlasting Father, I pray that it would not only be the words of our mouth that say we give thanks, but that the actions that we have in doing it well and doing it with all our might would be one in which you would be pleased through the power of the Spirit. We ask for your grace and your mercy. We commit ourselves to you again. We give ourselves to you again. We consecrate ourselves to you. And even as we think about thanksgiving this very week, we ask, O oh Lord, that every day, regardless of that day, we would be propagating a lifelong giving of thanks always. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to be reminded of all the wonderful works that you do and let us experience the nearness of your name, Jesus every day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue Edmonton that's E D M O N T O N Alberta 
abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.